my goal to my team was that we are going to beat conversion of this product by 5% and people loved it me at that time given the new beginning and all of that but you know as i say in my linkedin profile if people are not laughing at your goals they aren't big enough Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. Our broadcast today comes from the most recent Meta Strategy Digital Symposium. And the topic we covered was scaling your artificial intelligence operating model. The panelists who spoke on the topic were Yasir Anwar, the Chief Technology Officer and Chief Digital Officer of Williams Sonoma, and Cisco Sanchez, the Chief Information Officer of Qualcomm. The gentleman who led the conversation was Meta Strategy Partner and West Coast Lead, Chris Davis. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Hi, good morning. Hi, Yasir, great to see you. Hi, Cisco. Hey, hey guys, how you doing? Awesome, so uh, I'm super excited about the panel today. Um, Cisco and Yasir haven't known each other before today, but, but they're two people as I've gotten to know them over the years that have so much in common. They're people who are commercially minded CXOs. Yasir before uh, founding Walmart's Digital Labs and leading technology at Macy's has this digital and technology officer role at Williams-Sonoma. For those of you who don't know, for, for a brick and mortar retailer with brands like Williams-Sonoma, its namesake, Pottery Barn and West Elm, 66% of their revenue come through digital means. That, that is such a great success story of the brick and mortar retailer winning in the digital era. And, and we'll unpack a little bit of the secret sauce that Yasir has brought to his organization, leading that for the last five years. And Cisco, who previously had a number of roles leading different parts of FedEx, has the B2B and B2C mindset of how do you deliver the outcome to the, the customer, the end user, and now leading a technology at Qualcomm, helping scale the, the company that was the foundation of the wireless internet, building mobile products and chips, and now unlocking new experiences with its, its Snapdragon product that they just released. And moving from just selling hardware to software and services and starting to embed subscription business models in the way that they go to market. And so Yosir and Cisco bring this unique perspective of you need to be able to drive innovation at scale. So it should come as no surprise that the advent of ChatGPT was not the start of the conversation of deploying AI in their operating models. And Yasir, you have just a, a, a wonderful story of a moonshot that you took on AI when you were first joining Williams-Sonoma. I would love for you to kick us off with that real life example. Thank you for the question. So it was uh, four years ago when uh, the moonshot, as you called, because for the board, it was a moonshot that we said, I looked at the, you know, it, our goal was to increase our e-commerce penetration and revenue, which is more profitable for us. We looked at it and we said, how do we increase? There are multiple means. So one of the thing we thought is about how do you get customers find the product more easily, which is the recommendation. At that time, we were using a retail industry standard uh, vendor product for recommendations. So my goal to my team was that we are going to beat conversion of this product by 5%. And it was, people loved it me at that time, given the new beginning and all of that. But, you know, as I say in my LinkedIn profile, if people are not laughing at your goals, they aren't big enough. So I'm like, okay, that's the right goal. Then you work on it hard and smart. And over the period of two years with minimal investment and what we were able to bring in was incremental annualized revenue from just for that product, which was homegrown AI product, which we built. And we continue to reap more benefits uh, year over year from that product. And now we are also bringing the angle of generative AI to that. So aided with some gen AI and stuff. And we're like, the team is so excited. And that was building the pillar of confidence of AI in my entire organization. 
Yeah, I love that, Yosir. And while you didn't mention it, a lot of what your organization has also been doing, the, the three-dimensional visual space of AR, VR, how do I find and plan the room, the furniture that fits in my home or in my office, as the case may be, working with not just customers, but also designers. So there's this interesting B2B element. And when you start to create that metadata, that unlocks all of these different capabilities of like, hey, I want to shop for the dresser that fits these dimensions and I don't have to search and filter and, and go through all of that headache. And maybe I don't have to design to hire a designer. I can use the, the Williams-Sonoma and Pottery Barn designer as the case may be. And I want to unpack a little bit more of how you made that magic happen because I think that's the secret sauce for many of us. And, and Cisco, you have a similar example. It was not too long ago that, that you did a little bit of a demo for, for Peter and myself on what you have branded as the Imagine platform. And, and I would love for you to bring that to life because it's real, it's tangible, it's in early stage production, internal production at Qualcomm. Can you talk to us a little bit about the genesis, where you started? Because Yasir really shared this example that was sort of moonshot, big bet, revenue generating. And I think your example is a nice, um, uh, different approach, but also uh, one that, that all of us can consider for our organizations. Yeah, sure. So, um, and I, I know everybody knows this, but uh, ChatGPT had a year birthday in November. And so part of November, December, you see in January, there's anxiousness within the Qualcomm organization to be able to unlock and utilize some of that technology. Uh, me too. And so, you know, you start playing with it and you're like, wow, this can empower so much cool things. And it can write my wife a poem if you want to do. Um, and so, which I did. But, and so what we're trying to do is to show what could be possible. So in, in about February, March, we identified that we needed to do something versus say, you can't just use this uh, capability. And so we created a platform we call Imagine. Imagine what you can do with Gen AI. Imagine the possibilities and imagine all the key, the cool things you can do. And so underneath that Imagine platform, we created five main areas of focus. Uh, the first one was how do you allow for your software developers to be super effective? Give them tool sets to allow them to chat with code, understand code, write test cases, um, and it almost unlock them so you can get value immediately. And you take a, a junior a developer, they become a senior developer very, very quickly because they have the tool sets, they understand the code. And, um, and so we, we unlock that one as a, one of the use cases. The second use case that kept coming up was, how do I start to search internal documentation to allow for my customer engineers to be faster, easier to do case deflection, answer things as fast as possible, but not so much external documentation, very, very specific into our world. So we right. created a, a Q&A a model that allowed for that team to be effective. We also then dabbled just to show the possibilities of what else you could do, just to almost broaden perspectives of how you can leverage Gen AI. So there's there's three more. There's one for image uh, creation. So your stable diffusion, creating multiple images uh, that the marketing comms team uses. We did a translation one because it's easy, small models. Uh, we created, an, uh, take an audio file and then do a transcription. And this helps for uh, legal disclosures, meetings that, that may have been recording. And so what we're trying to show is of all of them, here's what's possible. And here's the platform. We also wanted to bake it to allow for not to just live in the platform. We had to go to a website, but place it where people live. And what that what I mean by that is if I'm in a developer, I'm in my IDE all the time. I'm not going to go to Stack Overflow. I do Google or Stack Overflow or others. I need to live in my, in my space so I don't get distracted. And so we right. created the ability for APIs uh, to be embedded as part of the IDE 
and it allows them to stay where they where, where they're comfortable. That means also for our customer engineers, that means for developers and so on and so on. And so we created the platform for this uh, possibilities and you should see how it's just like blurry into. And I was like, can you do a case for audit? Can you do this for finance? And it's the same framework, the same framework that allows for us to, to leverage. A lot of it stays on internal. There's, uh, there's a lot of privacy that we're concerned with. So we, we do a lot of it on internal. It's in a colo. It's using our hardware, which is super important to say, how do you challenge for inference? Um, but we created a model. And taking that model and showing what the possibilities, it's interesting because some of my peers say, can you just give me this and <laughs> I can use it my company? Um, and what I really think is important for all of us is, is how do you leverage and mm -hmm. how do you get the kind of enthusiasm to allow people to want to do something like this? Because really, you know, everybody else is going to be doing this and we don't want to fall behind. Yeah, I think what's interesting, not just for CIOs, but for the investment community is what these capabilities are going to do for SaaS platforms. Mm -hmm. If you build a SaaS Absolutely. platform that's sort of point for point, single purpose, what you just described, like you can build so much of that. If you take like expense management, simple application as an example, whether it's the OCR, the, the summation of it, the workflow management, the approval, the policy enforcement, like you can build your own expense management platform. You might not have all the bells and whistles and all the user capabilities, but, but that barrier to entry is a lot lower. And, and I think it's a scary world if you are not a platform level SaaS company right now, if you're a point solution, I would say watch out because I think that's where a lot of CXOs are going to come after their for their budget for the, those high expensive per user yeah. licenses. Yeah, and Chris, if I, if I can just add, I think what's Please. interesting is when we look at the use cases, the the, the Q and A, yeah, it works for customer engineers, it works for finance, it it works right. for comms. It's just it's baking the documentation based off of that particular area, so you can actually streamline. Um, and so the, the way that we created the the RAG uh, interface, the application uh, retrieval augmented generation, leveraging Gen AI and the vector, it's the same stuff, different mm -hmm. data. Um, and so what we've also done is to create authentication um, and authorization to so who can see which type of documents, because you know an engineer may not want to see, shouldn't I'll be allowed to see an audit document, for right. example, or vice versa. But the framework is still their framework; it's still the same stuff. It's yeah. just it's just loaded with different documentation. So it's very interesting. Yeah. So Yasir, coming back to you, you you started that journey with the Moonshot four years ago, and no doubt you've progressively advanced uh, your AI capabilities over time. And I'd love for you to walk us through that arc of when you're bringing this in a bit fresh. That's sort of one way you might address building your AI operating model, especially if the skills maybe are or aren't in house. And then now you're, the way AI is embedded into the way that you work is probably going to look a little different. So for those of, who weren't you know, four years ahead of this, the way that you were, how did you go about that journey of infusing AI talent into a specific capability and then starting to build that out, whether it was an AI COE or, or embedding um, engineers with AI capabilities into agile product teams themselves? We'd love to, to understand your journey in that area. It's like, you know, having the big goal, but starting small and iterative. So I did not make it a pressure point for my teams or anybody internally saying, this is what we have promised and we have to do because a lot of unknowns had to be discovered. So right. we built the talent, we transformed the team, got them training. And even there was some kind of shuffling of the people over the period of two years while we were building this product and doing it in small sprints and getting incremental. When the teams were able to say, getting to the point where it say, 
we are actually able to make something work. That was a celebration. Then you're like, okay, we are close to that after a year, but not even coming flat to the industry standard product. Then was like, we are 1% above consistently through our experimentation platform. We were checking that and team wanted to call it a day. They said, this is a big enough you know, win for the company. How much more do you want it? And I said, don't worry about it. Let's keep going at it and working on it. And we did beat from anywhere from seven to 12% across our family of brands. As you know, we have eight brands, uh, beautiful brands that you know are helping people decorate their homes. So within the team that was happening. So that allowed team to slowly, even though it was going at faster speed for if you look from outside, but internally it was going iterative and in a slow manner. So it would allow burning in the requirements of the talent, uh, the talent. The product management mindset had to be changed. The operational behavior of it had to be changed. The security aspects had to be looked at it. So we give it in a burn time and got it. Once you get the win, that's very critical. Another aspect of it is that, you know, there's a lot of big, large platforms and I'm, I'm in big favor that you can't just be in isolation and do keep doing your own AI and build hundred small solutions because after five years, you're going to abandon them due to cost complexity and all of that. So the key is how do you balance leveraging the larger AI and Gen AI ecosystems. But like I always say that even for evaluating what solutions out there are good for you, you need to have some level of expertise, some level of DNA in your own organization. So that was the angle I applied within my team. How do you learn versus sending them for 20 certifications? Nobody gets to do the real thing by just certifications. Yeah. So it was about building something. Once we got to that point, the confidence level of the team was very high. Then it wasn't me asking for like, should we do one more project, other more project? We formed a small, like a labish lab environment and we start evaluating more solutions. In that case, it wasn't necessarily the goal to keep building in-house. It was also leveraging. Where can we partner? Who is doing best? Open mm -hmm. AI or other, other solutions. And then the team naturally swarmed. The business leaders, my peers, my CEO board, when we explained them how many things we are exploring, they were very excited about what we're doing. So today, as we speak, and the, you know, I'm always about outcome and results. So from that journey of first AI in-house solution to now today, either, either in production or piloting many AI solutions, either they are in partnership or homegrown. I'll give you a few examples. One is our you know, SEO and the product copy content. We're piloting it right now. That's a very common and legit use case of Gen AI. We're doing mm -hmm. that. We also are using shoppable videos and shoppable images on our website. The 3D uh, image thing you talked about, right? That's a platform we acquired five years ago and we continue to build on it. So it allows us to build photorealistic scenes right. by using AI technology. And it yeah. also allows to convert our physical assets into multi-million combinations of the images of that photorealistic images. So that's powering our website experience and conversion. We are mm -hmm. also using it for our, you know, in our supply chain area, we're using it right now. We launched something for Peak was, um, we have a good business, we have a brand called Mark and Graham that does the personalization monogramming. So we used to get, you know, like any company, some returns. And in those monogramming, sometimes it was difficult to find out exactly where the problem was because the customer would say it doesn't feel right or the color doesn't look nice. So we build an image-based AI where we pass through our returns and it exactly identifies at the pixel level, color shade level, thread level, where the problem could have been. And so that we can move back in our manufacturing units and telling them how to adjust their monogramming machines. Wow. Uh, we are also doing it for promise dates to our customers. We're using AI and promise dates for customers. So we can figure out the best optimal path for the customers and provide them those options in our delivery. So there are quite a few use cases
within William Sonoma that are currently live and delivering value. I love that. And I think what's really unique about your your situation is that you had the benefit of doing this over time without a lot of the organizational pressure. I think that many other organizations are, are sort of in the other camp where the board, the CEO is saying like, where's our press release? Like we need to talk about how we're using AI. And 2023 has been the, the era for many companies, not these two, but the era of sort of POC and a press release where like it's talking about how I am entitled to AI via ServiceNow, therefore I'm using it in my IT service management arena in 2024 should be how do we embed it in our operating model. And, and Cisco, um, I'm going to come to you next, but before we do, what we wanted to ask the audience was what are the biggest challenges people are seeing in scaling AI? And, and what's interesting here is the lack of a data and AI strategy. That's a little bit higher than I would have expected. I would have expected to see the talent and skill sets to be higher, security and risk sort of in there as well. But Cisco, I want to put that question to you. As you think about scaling this, you have the Imagine platform, you're a tech-centric company at its core, there's clear use cases and optimizing models for chip design and how you get more compute power to power the next generation of 5G and 27G and all that great stuff. And at the same time, your, your staff can only be so big, you can only have so many people. You already alluded to the junior developer becoming the senior developer with the AI augmentation. But but what do you see as the big, biggest challenge as you're sort of stepping into the next calendar year? Yes. So for me, if I were to answer that poll, I would say security and risk, mm -hmm. uh, just purely because what we do is, and it's probably just for my industry and, and others like it, we, we create, you know, 5G, 6G. And so that, that is super important for us on making sure none of that data gets exposed out, uh, right. either the software module, the capability and and it's not just in that 5G space. It's the next generation Wi-Fi 8 or the you know the next Bluetooth or the way that we connect are going to be connecting our platform or, or the client or the, the laptop that we've created. So there's a lot of like super secure things that we, we, we maintain. That's why, and we do, by the way, we do use third-party software tool sets that have a Gen AI, like a GitHub Copilot or Microsoft Office Copilot. But there are some things that we say we need a ring fence because of control and maintaining. And I, but I think the second risk is really how do you leverage your team as effective? And Yazir mentioned it. He, he did it. He's doing a really good job at Williams-Sonoma. For us, what we've done is we've taken a lot of the ML toolset group because their their mind works in a, in a very interesting, similar way of saying, I can I know how to do an ML model. I know how to create that that ability and know how to start to, to identify data. Now I have Gen AI to help kind of expose it differently. And so we've taken a lot of our ML team members to say, we think that there's a path here in this Gen AI space that can help us accelerate the journey for where we want to be. And so we've done, we've done that. When we first began, by the way, we took, it was two and a half people that were building out this Imagine platform. Now it's like, you know, 25, there's, and there's a business representation. But I think that skill set is going to be super interesting on how do you accelerate because it's a constant moving target of how do you do authentication and how do you do the search criteria better and how do you do this model and which model do you use and uh, do I use a one billion parameter or seventy billion and or all in between and and so I think those type of skill sets are are a little bit different and unique but at least in in the way that we've been handling it is. A lot of our ML engineers are are really gifted in understanding kind of that scale, size, when to kind of burst and type of hardware. So it's been very helpful. But I still think uh, at least security and risk are going to plague us 
because we don't want software, we don't want data to be exposed everywhere. But yeah, that's the way we look at it. I 100% agree with Cisco's assessment on data and security. And even if it is, yeah, even if it is, you know, different type of products, at the end of it, it's about customer data at stake. That's going to cause problems. So mm -hmm. I think uh, that is key. As you know, uh, my take on it, my study on this, this LLMs, right? And Gen AI actually builds a much bigger attack surface than traditional technology. Yeah. Because now LLM is like a gateway, which is talking to all the traditional services and producing results. So if somebody is able to get prompt injections into your LLM model, or allow to what we call data poisoning, like corrupting data from a training data or user feedback, that could have very disaster effects. Yeah. So that's where you need to bring in uh, sort of almost like, you know, I, I say personally, passionately that there is an open AI, there should be a governed AI, a platform so much so that that's overarching and enterprises can deploy them. And it has a catalog of all the AI, hundreds of solutions running in the next few years in an enterprise and checking for not only cybersecurity risks, but long-term business outcomes and tell the leaders that even though short-term outcomes are coming fine, but in three years, it's going to deviate because yeah. of what is going on and help in some kind of uh, self-healing. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I know, Chris, you want no, to no, go for it. Go for it. Let's go. This, this is fun discussion because, uh, you know, Yazir and I are just super aligned. Um, what, what's interesting, it's not just the products you create within your own LM. It's all the others that are getting created. And so think of like, being able to do a chat to create a new firewall rule or portal because it's coming, it's, it's here, right? And so uh, to you guys' point, if, if if someone was to get into that and change the configuration for firewalls or open up a port or expose or change the whole configuration, ooh, I mean, that's, it, you know, it's me and my CISO are probably shaking right now just thinking about kind of the torment that could happen to companies. So there's a lot that you have to do to make sure that you're securing appropriately. Otherwise, um, bad thing, good and bad things could happen. Hopefully, more good than bad. Yeah, and I, the, the sort of the direction I was going to take that is on the one hand, the, there's the leaders of major platforms. We talked about a number of them, especially in the, in the LLM space. And when you go from OpenAI slash a little bit of Microsoft thrown in there, you go Google with Bard now, Gemini, and, and what they're rolling out. You look at Anthropic. You look at Amazon, uh, AWS, Bedrock, and you can sort of add the list. You know, Einstein would like to have its name thrown in the top five. I think they're sort of on, on the edge there. But is there a world where the LLMs actually become commoditized? And like what we saw in cloud computing, you get this sort of interstitial layer where there's a, there is a platform, like you said, Yasir, that manages them all. And, and to the end user, they almost don't care. It's some evaluation to figure out which one to plug in for which purpose but those business models start to atrophy because some of that core capability becomes commoditized or are you seeing enough differentiation that, that it makes sense to lean in heavily with one model, but tailor to the Mark and Graham brand voice because you, you know you need to train it on your own data. How are you looking at the evolution of that platform-based approach and the multi-model multi, uh, approach? Thank you. And I, I believe that evolution of some of the companies that are adopting OpenAI or providing some kind of, I would say, fortified solutions is trying to inherently respond to the fear and scare of the risk. Yeah. So everybody wants to have safe harbor, right? When they're deploying a new technology, that's where currently their business model is attacking. At some point when it becomes ubiquitous and it's being deployed, 
this is going to become commoditized. Yeah. And not only that, but even I strongly believe that things like which are of expertise, like today, doctor's advice, you name it, tutoring, one-on-one, all that will become free and available to everybody because it's going to get so much commoditized. So the key is still about going to be is which platform you are in your already, uh, you can say aligned with your, in your ecosystem, whether it's Azure, whether it's Google, whether it's others. And with that synergy, are they providing you the safety and other lifecycle management tools? Because that building those tools by every other company, retailers or other people, that would be a lot of investment. And that's where these companies are providing the investment. So I think you need to pick and choose and it's no, no more a world anyways to deal with only with one of the provider. I think it's an ecosystem. You pick and choose few great people and build your own solutions. Even the today, the solutions and LLM models are available. A lot of open source are available, which yeah. you bring them in-house or run them on a cloud. And then you customize based on data because at the end of the day, it has to be trained by your own specific data to get the real business outcomes. Yeah. Cisco, you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I, I aligned again. I, I think what's interesting is the models are changing so, so darn fast that the next upgrade, the next feature, the next one. And so it's it's almost if you hang your hat on just one you're going to be probably behind in four months because the next model comes out. And we are seeing that when we created the Imagine platform, we started with in the coding space with something called CodeGen and moved to start coder. But the user doesn't, they shouldn't care or don't know, or don't, and they don't really care. And so I, I think even in that space is trying to figure out how you flexible enough to be able to kind of pivot because the model's going to change a bit. Um, yeah. But um, Yazir's point is, is solid on, it still needs to be trained with your data because all the models are trained with external content that probably has your data, some of it um, that are external facing. But it's, if you want to tailor it to who you are as a company, a group function, it still needs a lot of your content. Um, mm -hmm. And as, as great as uh, Microsoft's Office 365, it still needs more data than it has today. Um, right. And so I think it needs to be exposed to that content otherwise. Um, and so I think you're ultimately saying is that flexibility is going to be, be key here. You got to identify what is your strategy for external LLMs. What is your strategy for internal LLMs? And they both should live together in harmony in some way to help uh, provide that that hybrid approach. Yeah, um, that gives you some flexibility long term. Yeah, yeah, and I think when you add in all of that to what is it going to cost us? Like you, on the one hand, mm -hmm. you see in November OpenAI saying for GPT uh, Turbo that, that the input and output tokens are decreasing by, by a half and a third, which is like mind blowing that the price can come down that fast. On the other hand, if it doesn't, who's gonna buy it? Because the, 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 the capability per dollar per cent is gonna be that much closer of a gap. And I think it'll be interesting if the enterprise license agreements start to shift from annual contracts to like, a data market exchange where the, the model is the price that, that the market will bear and that will change almost daily. And, and it'll be really fascinating to see how the financial component of this happens. And, and clearly what you both are doing is you're hedging your bets. You're building some of it your own so that you're not at the disposal of others. You're uh, making sure that you're evaluating all of the capabilities. You're building the skills in-house and you're not trying to do some miracle overnight. What I love in both of the examples is you're building the foundational building blocks and creating that pull from the organization. It's clearly not a push uh, at this point. And Yasir and Cisco, thank you so much for, for sharing these great insights. I, I wish we had more time, um, uh, but I would love to, to have, an, have another go at this sometime before too long. Happy holidays. Thank you Happy again holidays. for joining us. Thank you for us. having us. Wait, yeah. Happy holidays. <laughs>